Heavenly Father, we thank you that it begins and it ends with the cross. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, there's nothing else that amounts to that at all. But Lord, I pray that the cross is not the last resort, but it's the first resort. That we don't always end up there as much as we we begin there and we remain there and we stay there. Because, Lord, you've taken a, a torture tool and you've turned it into a symbol of redemption, a symbol of salvation. And, Lord, when we get up in the morning, I just pray that uh, we can get on our knees and leave everything at the cross. All scripture points back to that. And so, Lord, this morning as we jump into this, God, I just pray that that's what we have in the forefront of our minds. That's what we're working, not necessarily working towards, but, Lord, that's that's where we're we're trying to reside. That's where we want our home to be, is at the cross. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We need you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, ESIS. Hey, you got square number two this morning. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, yeah, this this square has a little bit more hair. So, um, oh goodness, here we go. So, first service, I kind of went long, so I'm gonna have to get better at this whole timing thing. <laughs> I get through my. My message, and I look up, and it's like 1025. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I still have a lot more to talk about, but guess what? We got to be done. So um, it's a learning process. The Lord's really doing some stuff in me that is is good. He's teaching me how to lead you guys well and uh, just letting him work in me. But we're in a fascinating time this morning um, for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is this transition, obviously, of senior leadership uh, that's going from my dad over to me and that's something that will officially happen January 1st but from now up until January 1st there's going to be a little bit of me a little bit of him and not really going to be this you know hard cut off of my dad being up on stage or on the pulpit and then me kind of just peppering me in there if you will if you want to use that terminology but the change of senior leadership to me is exciting because what I am now um my purpose is to build leadership and to bring people in who have a passion and a heart just like Eesus, uh, to build. And it's to get people in these seats, not for the sake of getting people in the seats. That's not it. But it's for the sake of taking care of people. <laughs> that if 500 people were to walk through that door on a Sunday morning, which I'll explain why they might later, that we would be able to take care of them. From birth to bereavement. It doesn't matter what your age, what you're going through, married, single, um, you know, newly married or been married for 50 years, doesn't matter. Uh, just being able to take care of everybody. That's huge. So there's this transition in senior leadership, and that's what the Lord's putting on me to build leadership. Also, what I was talking about as far as this 500 people were going to walk through that door, the other thing that we're jumping into in this time is something called intentional growth. Intentional growth being there's multiple conversations that I have during the week with people that either used to go to ESIS or have heard of ESIS, and they're just asking, hey, where are you guys? What are you doing? (laughs) Uh, We haven't done a whole lot as far as putting our name out there um, and saying, hey, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Simply because we want to be able to hold the people if we do that and if they come. Because 10 years ago, 13 years ago, we were 2,500 people. A lot of people. A lot of people. But if you look now, we're not 2,500 people anymore. And that's because the Lord changed, not necessarily changed what my dad was doing vision-wise, but recalibrated that. We were a mile wide in an inch deep. We'll see. What we're working on now is to be a mile deep in however wide he wants us to be. It doesn't really matter. We just want depth. 
Now that depth is coming through three things, and you will hear me speak about these three things every single time I'm in front of you. Discipleship, evangelism, and neighboring. Those three things are what is going to build this church. But not doing them the way we want to do them, doing them the way the red letters say, doing them the way Christ says. So there's evangelism that's going to get people in this room. I'm not talking about people from other churches. But if you are from another church, hey, welcome. It's not like we're going to kick you out. <laughs> but new believers, okay, are going to, that's how they come through the door. Discipleship is how we keep them. It's how we keep these seats filled. And neighboring is just the platform or the playing field in which evangelism and discipleship begin to grow. Um, going across your street, talking to the person on the other side of the, the cul-de-sac or wherever you live, just telling them about Jesus. So we got a transition, leadership. We got intentional growth. And then what else do we have going on right now? It's a building campaign. <laughs> Lots of building where we have put together a team who I am very thankful for. Um, and they're leading us in the uh, gathering of funds so that we can do something that Easis has never done in her existence. And that's have a place of permanency. A building that we can call our own, but we can call it home. And uh, to be honest with you, I would love that because that would mean, and I said this in the first service, we don't have to set up this sound system from 1902 anymore. And it'll be all new stuff and all the speakers will work and all the microphones will work and you'll be able to hear. And so the reason why I say those three things, transition of senior leadership, um, transition of senior leadership and then jumping into, hold on a second. Just lost my train of thought. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Just give me a second. Everybody's shouting out stuff. Just let me think for a second. <laughs> no, it's a transition to leadership, um, intentional growth. And then this building campaign all has us in a time. It's a time period. Those three things point towards something and they they point towards us being in a place where we've never stepped foot before never have what we're going to be talking about today that doesn't only have um, corporate implications but it also has individual implications so each one of you on an individual level i'm hoping you can grab something from what i'm saying and apply it to your life individually as well as, hey, as a body, corporately, corporately, we're moving. But here's the statement. All of those three things point towards this. We're crossing the Jordan. Amen? We're about to tread where we have never stepped before. <laughs> On the other side of the Jordan. We're, we've been in the wilderness in some areas. And now we're going to be in the promised land. We've crossed over in some areas. I'm thinking... Um, we're making the transition. If you want to, you know, be literal about it, we're like up to our waist, halfway through, 30 steps out, whatever. We're like in the middle of the Jordan. But nonetheless, we're crossing. There's some new stuff. Now, that's us corporately. Now, individually, I'm going to say this. Every single day you guys get up, there's something that you're going to have to get on the other side of. Something that you're going to have to cross the Jordan in. Now I'm going to make this statement. I'm going to ask this question. Now when I when I ask this question, this is what is going to drive this entire message today. So when you walk out of here, I'm hoping that you'll be able to answer the question. But answer it effectively. And, and really it's not one of those things where you just you jump right in and you're like, yes, here we go. But take some time to let the Lord speak to you on it. I want you to listen to how I ask the question. What's the, what's the wording in it? Then I want you to be able to listen to the Lord and ha have him help you answer that question for you individually. But here's the kicker to this whole thing. We need to understand, I'm hoping that through this message we will understand the environment and the posture of heart that's, that is and that is needed 
on the other side of the question. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again. I want you to be able to think about how I'm asking the question. Let the Lord help you answer the question. And then let's get a good understanding of the environment, what that's like, and the posture of heart needed on the other side of the question. Okay? So here's here's the question. It's very simple. And it's this. Are you prepared to cross the Jordan? Are you prepared to cross the Jordan? Now, notice I didn't use the word ready. I'm not, I'm not asking you guys if you're ready. <laughs> Are you ready to cross the Jordan? Well, sure. I mean, circumstances permitting, I might be ready. I'm asking if are you prepared? Because in your preparation, it allows you to deal with the environment and have the proper posture of heart on the other side. Because you can say yes right now, but then not be ready or not be prepared for the other side. There has to be a preparedness in you as you step foot in that promised land. Now, here's the reason. Here's one of the reasons why I use the word ready. Excuse me, use the word prepare, not ready. Now, real quick, I'm going to take forever on this introduction. You guys just got to bear with me. Because <laughs> going from my dad to now, to me, excuse me, and we're going to go through the book of Haggai. All right, that's in your hand out there. Um, we're going to be hitting verse or chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. But in order for me to effectively get you guys to the right place where we can understand what Haggai is saying or Haggai, however you want to say it. Um, there's a lot of history and some scripture that we need to read to bring all of us up to speed to Haggai 1. Now, it's apropos to where we're at as a church, and we, there's some parallels that we can be able to, to see in Haggai, the people in Haggai, and us. But just bear with me. On the introduction, it's going to take just a little bit, but we will get to scripture. I'm not just going to be up here talking, you know. So the reason why I use the word prepared and not ready, have you ever seen a track star, whoever, jump into the blocks, or I guess get on, let's just say this, they get on the track, there's a gunsman, there's a guy with the gun, you know, shoots the gun, let's call him the gunsman. And usually his vernacular is, on your marks, which is basically saying, get ready. Runners, take your mark. Then he says, get set and go. Gun goes off. When he says, runners, take your marks or get ready, have you ever seen a runner kind of, you know, jump up and down and do his little thing, her thing, whatever? They take about four or five seconds and then they back into the blocks and it's good. Have you ever seen anybody say, you know what, dude with gun, time out for a second. I'm, do you mind if I just... Can I go to the other side of the track real quick and just do some sprints, make sure I'm, I'm good? And then, you know, there's a gym about half a mile away. Do you mind if I jump into the gym and do some plyometrics, make sure my muscles are firing right? And then I might do some leg press, some, some leg whatever, whatever it is. Can you just pause for a second while I go do that? It makes zero sense. You've never, ever seen anybody do that. Why is that? Because the preparation for that race happened months in advance, weeks in advance. Still in the first service, hopefully more than hours in advance, but nonetheless, the preparation for that race did not happen in that moment. Ladies and gentlemen, as you walk through life, there are certain things that you are going to have to react to and respond to in the moment. But are you prepared for that moment? Have you gotten in Scripture on a daily basis to become prepared for when the gun goes off and you got to run. You guys trucking with me? There's a difference between being prepared and being ready. And I give you that exp- I give you that explanation to to better explain why I'm using that that word prepared. Now here's here's kind of the underlying theme of where we're at when it comes to the transition, the intentional growth, the building campaign, crossing the Jordan. Two things, two words. We're building and there's movement within the body. Movement not because of 
us doing things as much as the spirit is moving. The spirit is bringing about uh, an ability for us to raise money for land that is like way out of our price range for a building that is uh, too expensive for us to get. But you know what? It's all God's money anyway, and he's going to do it, but he's going to do it through us. So when I say movement, I mean movement by the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, building and movement, there's two things, two character traits that you guys, that we Christians, followers of Christ, all need to have when it comes to movement, when it comes to specifically crossing the Jordan. Let's just talk about the wilderness side. You're going to need boldness and you're going to need courage in order to put your foot in the water. Now, crossing the Jordan, the Lord made the water stop so people weren't actually wet. Okay, so I can't really use that analogy. But what I'm saying is that you're on the wilderness side. It's going to take boldness to want to get over there. And it's going to take courage to want to get over there. Why? Because sometimes we can get so used to the wilderness side that it's comfortable. We've learned how to um, jump into self-preservation. We've learned how to exist on the wilderness side. And you know what? Sometimes change is hard, but you're going to need boldness and you're going to need courage to want to get over there. Second thing is you're going to need boldness and you're going to need courage Not just to get to the other side, but you're going to need those two things in order to inhabit the land on the other side of the Jordan. Does that make sense? You guys struggling with me on that? You you not only need this these character traits to just simply get yourself across or, or or have the Lord get you across the Jordan, but once you get over there, then what? Does that boldness and courage then go away? I mean. What's the environment like over there? What's the posture of heart that you need over there? Ladies and gentlemen, we're not just talking about crossing. We're talking about living in the promised land. Amen? So continuing with this unbelievably long introduction. Think about that word movement. Now, When there's movement in the Holy Spirit, when there's movement in the Spirit, you're advancing in your life. And you're looking more like Christ has ever wanted you to look. Let me say this. Eesus right now looks more like she's, uh, more like Christ has wanted her to look now than ever. Being able to take care of people, being able to get things done from uh, administratively from Monday to Sunday, but also spiritually from all days of the week. Okay, we look more like we're supposed to look now than we ever have. Every time you guys take a step forward, every time there's movement, every time you go from a 2 to a 2.5, you don't take steps back. Guess who doesn't like that? The enemy. He will do everything he possibly can to take your legs right out from underneath you. And he he plays no favorites. He doesn't ask you for permission. He comes right at you. Why? Because you're starting to look more like Jesus. Why would he want that? So our movement, our building and our movement, your building, your movement, makes the enemy mad. And what he does is he targets you. He comes after you. Now I want you to, I want you to think about these two things. Before we continue, before we open up some scripture, we're gonna go through three passages, not super long, before we get to Haggai, so that we can understand Haggai. But think about this. Anybody ever driven a car? And it's, you know, you're going, well, I can't, hey, have you driven a car? You drove a car here probably. Awesome. It's a weird way to start that conversation. So let's, let me say this. When you're driving your car, alright, all the tires are filled up nice, smooth, music's on. If it's hot, air conditioned, whatever, you good? What happens the moment you get a flat tire? Number one, you can tell, right? Because that car is like all over the place, and you're all of a sudden more of a Christian before you got in the car because you're praying to Jesus that, hey, 
I need to live through this circumstance. Lord, please don't let me die. Nonetheless, you get a flat tire. It changes your momentum. It changes your movement. You have to come to a stop. Have you ever seen anybody on the side of the road jump out of their car, pull up a chair, sit down in front of this tire and just say, hmm, I think this flat tire is a it's a sign that now is not the time to drive. Um, no, that makes no sense. Why you've never seen anybody do that. And if you're seeing anybody just, you know, staring at their car tire, probably because they just don't know how to change it. But most people, what do they do? Change the tire, put it back on the vehicle, and you get where you need to go, right? Well, think about a, a cross-country runner or someone sprinting, okay? Smooth, feeling good, prepared, ate right, got enough sleep, everything's going good, right? Somebody in their infinite wisdom, I don't, I pray this would never happen, but someone on the sideline picks up a stick and just <laughs> hits this person right in the shin, <laughs> really weird analogy. Just go with it. All right. They face plant, mouthful of grass. They get up and they're they're sitting there and they're thinking to themselves. You never seen somebody who's fallen over and they say, you know what? I think that random stick flying out of the air is a sign that I shouldn't be running right now. It now is not a time to run. No. Those who fall down, they get back up, and if they're in a race, they're going somewhere. They're trying to get to that finish line. Ladies and gentlemen, we have somewhere to be. Everybody in here has somewhere to be, and that place that we're going is looking just like Christ. That's you individually. Corporately, we're going to the other side of the Jordan. And I'm saying that you guys can, I I want you to come, because, hey, we're going. And I want the promised land. The wilderness, I'm okay with being being done with that. I want to jump into the promised land. But we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians 10. You can turn there now. Verses 3 through 6. And those flat tires, those sticks that come flying through the air, Here's the perspective that I need you guys to have as we as we read through this stuff. That your movement doesn't make the enemy happy. So he's going to do something about it. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I love verse 6. And we are ready. We are ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't I don't know how else to say it. So I'm just going to put it super frankly. You're in a spiritual battle as you sit in these seats right now. Like the enemy is going to come after you the moment you walk out of these doors. And he's going to do it over and over and over again. If you don't see life through a supernatural lens, it can get super confusing. But when we come at life in a natural, from a natural standpoint, things don't really make sense. But when we come at it supernaturally and understand that we're in a war, we're in a battle, those sticks that come flying through the air, they don't, they don't really seem to be that much of an issue anymore. Those speed bumps, those flat tires, however, whatever analogy, crazy, ridiculous analogy you want to use, those things just don't become that important. Why is that? Because we have a God who conquered death. Amen? We have a God who already won. So I'm hoping that what we can do through the lens of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, what we're about to read that's going to bring us up to Haggai, is realize, guys, that as we cross the Jordan, as we move, 
we're going to take hits, but that doesn't mean we stop. It's my job, like it says in verse 6, we are ready to prepare us. I'm not saying that here's the state of the church and you guys just, we all just need to get right, get right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as, as we push forward in this, as we take steps forward, what we have to do is, is understand that we're gonna take hits. The enemy's coming. We don't go search him out, but we say, I'm prepared. That, I'm sorry guys, that just gives me chills. Cause that's, that's what I was built for. Was just spiritual warfare. <laughs> Jumping right into the middle of that and swinging a sword. The sword you swing is sitting up on that podium for me in your lap for you. Genesis to Revelation. You gotta swing that thing. But you have to come at it understanding that you're in a spiritual battle. Amen? So you guys with me? Alright. So again, we're getting to Haggai. The book of Haggai is an example of a people who are building, a people who um, have momentum, but then a people who get derailed because of something. And in jumping into into that book, I simply just had the question. I'll, you know what? I'll read it. Let's read Haggai 1, verses 1 through 6. Let's just read this. Get this scripture out on the table. This is, this is kind of what we're going to be looking at today. But definitely have to be able to set this up in order for us to understand. So let's, let's turn to that. Haggai, Haggai, however you say it. Chapter one, verse one. In the second year of Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord God, the, wow, the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I read that, and I look at verse 2, and God is, God is revealing to, to the people their heart. Basically telling them that their priorities aren't right. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, why? Why, why do they even step in with that, why does the Lord even have to come at them and say, hey, look, this is where you're at? What caused them to get there? And this next five to six, seven minutes, I'm going to read through some scripture and explain to you guys why they have that heart. It's not the right one. The priorities are backwards. All right. But let's look at in scripture an example um, in second. Second Chronicles thirty six fifteen through twenty one. Okay, this is specific to um gotta find this real quick. This is specific to the people of Judah. Okay. You guys don't have to turn there. It's kind of a lot, so I'm just gonna read through it. And I got the NIV uh version, so some words might be different. My my pop likes to preach out of the NASB. I usually do that as well, but for whatever reason, this is the Bible I grabbed this morning. <laughs> so here we go. NIV. But this gives us a little bit of a, a glimpse as to why these people are where they are. And I want you to think, how does this relate to me throughout this message? Just ponder that. So verse 15, chapter 36 in Second Chronicles. In my Bible, it's, this paragraph is titled, The Fall of Jerusalem. It says, The Lord, the God, their fathers, the God of their fathers sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they, this is Judah, the Lord's people, mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. 
he brought up against them the king of Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the kings and his officials. Uh, Catch this, verse 19. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the places and destroyed everything of value. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Verse 21. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So in short, these people had disobeyed God so severely that he sent them into exile. And it says he did that for 70 years. Now, you got to make God pretty mad in order for him to cast you out for 70 years. But it was necessary for these people. See, here's the thing. The Lord will let something happen in your life to the extent that it will get your attention. It might not be the same for you, for you, or for you. But he'll let it happen to wake you up. 65 years wouldn't have woke him up. 68 wouldn't have woke him up. 70. So when the Lord's pulling you through something, understand that he's doing it because, number one, he loves you. He's trying to get you on the other side of something. But it's to the extent that he's hoping that it will get your attention in that moment. I'm praying that you give him your attention, that I give him my attention. Things don't have to keep happening in order to get our attention. You guys trucking with me on that? So yeah, the prophecy that it was talking about in verse 21, you can find it in Jeremiah 25, 4 through 14. I'm not going to read there or uh, turn there and read it. You can also read it in Jeremiah 29, 10. Again, that's Jeremiah 25, 4 through 14. I would encourage you to read it when you get some time. And also Jeremiah 29, 10. All right, so that's why they were exiled. And then we jump into why is it, again, that they have this heart, this mentality. The history of them coming out of exile is in the book of Ezra. Now, I'm not going to turn there. It's the first four chapters. I'm not going to read all of that. We'll be here forever. But what I'm going to do is paraphrase each chapter, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And that brings us right up to Haggai 1. And it will help us understand, again, their posture of heart. But if you read in Ezra 1, 1 through 4, it's a decree from King Cyrus to allow the reconstruction of the temple that was burned down. Verse 19 in Second Chronicles 36, I pointed that one out. Look, they burned the temple. All right, this king's like, look, let's build this thing back up again. I'm giving you permission to do that. This is when the 70 years had ended. Chapter 2 just speaks to everyone who returns. All of the exiles who are cast out, there's a uh, just a list and a numeric, yeah, numerical list of all the people who returned to get this done. That's all chapter 2 is. Now in there is Nehemiah. Now you get the entire book of Nehemiah. This man is building the wall of Jerusalem and fighting at the same time. So he, he has a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. There's times in your life where I guarantee you guys are building something, all right, and you're having to fight the enemy at the same time. Catch that. That's not something that you just kind of put over here on Monday and Tuesday and then decide to pick it up on Wednesday through Friday and then it's different Saturday, Sunday. No, it's all the time. But Ezra 3 is the actual temple in its construction. It begins, all right? Now, these people are unbelievably excited about this thing. They're building this temple that had been destroyed some however many years later, and now they have a chance to jump back into that again. Now in Ezra 3, verses 11, 12 through 13, excuse me, 11, Ezra 3, verses 11 through 13, it says that the foundation was laid. 
That's where their excitement took them. It took them up to the point where the foundation was laid. Now, my dad has spent the past 25 years laying the foundation for Jesus. Now, I pray it's not a Moses-Joshua thing where he doesn't get to see the promised land. I mean, you know, in that story, the man, Moses, ceases to live. He dies, okay? I'm hoping that... That doesn't happen to my father, but what I'm saying is that he spent the past 25 years preparing us, laying the foundation so that we can cross the Jordan, so that we can continue to build. That's where these people are, super excited. Hey, guess what? We're excited about this building campaign. We're about to build a building so that we have a place that we can call home. Ezra 4 Oh, wait, okay, so verses 12 and 13 in Ezra 3, I just have to touch on this real quick. It says, some people praised God for the finishing of the foundation. Some people wept. Now, they said the young people praised God, and the old people wept. Now, this I'm not saying old people here, you guys were the ones crying, you need to get your life right. I'm just, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that there was a perception of what the old temple let me say this. There's a perception of what the new temple would look like based on the old temple. Now, the younger people praised God because they hadn't seen the old temple. They were like, all right, whatever. This is great. We're, we're going. But the people who had an idea of what it looked like back in the day, it didn't look the same. So they began to weep because it didn't look the same. Let me say this. No longer, I'm hoping, at the end of today, maybe whatever, the Lord convicts you enough that you don't ask permission of your past to be successful in your future. It's not going to look like it looked back then. Because when we cross the Jordan, it's going to be different. It has to be different. I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't want it to look the same. <laughs> so let's, let's do the latter, the, the, the former of the two. Let's praise God based on the fact that it's new and not have any kind of attachment to what it used to be. When we attach ourselves to what it used to be, man. We kind of put God in a box. And so let's just hold that one in our back pocket. But Ezra 4, this is kind of this is kind of what I'm getting at today. Ezra 4 basically communicates the enemies of Judah didn't approve of their building, so they complained to King Artaxerxes at the time. And they said, look, these people are extremely rebellious. That's why they went into exile. Because they were rebellious people. It was their past. The enemies of Judah came up and just said, look, this is a rebellious people. I don't know if you want wanting them. I don't know if you want them to build, to continue to do that. And so the king was like, you know what? I agree with you. So he puts out, I don't know if it was a decree at the time, but he just said the work on this temple is going to stop. Because of. Judah's enemies complaining to the king. Now, to me, that that just looks like one thing. It's called opposition. Something that didn't necessarily happen the way they wanted it to happen caused them to stop. Now, this king, mind you, is flesh and blood. He's not God. So why is it that in the midst of their excitement and building, just because of a mortal king, just because of some word that comes out of his mouth, they stop doing what God has asked them to do. That brings us up to Haggai 1. Starting in verse 2, the Lord uses Haggai to speak to the people and he says, This people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The time hasn't come because we're dealing with opposition. The time hasn't come because I got a flat tire. The time hasn't come because someone threw a stick at my legs and I fell flat on my face and now I got a mouthful of grass and it's not fun. We don't determine the time. And our circumstances definitely don't determine the time. Amen? So regardless of how many people, how much money, whatever's going on here, there, top, bottom, left, right, doesn't matter. What does God say? What is he asking us to do? What we're going to pull out of Haggai is in preparation for crossing the Jordan. It's preparation for being in the place exactly where Christ wants you to be. Not that you aren't there now, 
but the process is just just as important as the destination. Amen. So yeah, turn back to Haggai, Haggai, whatever works for you. So in verse 2, he reveals their priorities. They understand that they're wrong. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? That's basically a, a challenge and a check. Now, I asked you a question at the beginning of this thing. And it was, are you prepared to cross the Jordan? And at the end of that question, I said, what's the environment? I need you to think about the environment on the other side. What posture of heart is it going to require to inhabit the land on the other side of the Jordan? Because I don't know if you know anything about the people or the story. They crossed the Jordan, and then that wasn't the end of the Bible. (laughs) There was more stuff that had to happen. They had to conquer 32 kings while they were over there. So that basically means, hey, guys, in the promised land, we still got work to do. That environment, when you conquer a king, that means war. More so for us, spiritual warfare first. Being able to be a soldier in the spirit. Seeing it through that lens. That, hey, we're going to have to fight. Once we get over into the promised land. Turn to Luke fourteen twenty eight. This is the posture of heart that I'm talking about. The environment is that we got a we got some things to conquer. But here's the posture of heart. Now in Luke fourteen Luke fourteen twenty six. Let's start in verse actually let's start in verse twenty eight. Luke fourteen twenty eight. And this is what Jesus says about building. So these people are building the foundation. But what does Jesus say about building, period? This helps us understand what the Lord and his perspective on building is. Let's read this. Luke fourteen twenty eight. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see it, to see if he has enough money to complete it? So basically, that means this. You have to calculate the cost of completion in everything that you do. There is a cost to getting to the finish line. And you have to calculate what that cost is. Now, in your calculation, does your calculation rest in... Putting a whole bunch of things up on the board and saying, this is this is all what it's going to take. My goodness, that's a lot. You list all those things out. You see all what those things are. And then you say, you know what? Mm, I'm good. I'm just going to move on to the next thing. I'll tell you what. The Lord will bring you right back to that. Because of what you are purposed to do in your life. In my calculation, my posture of heart has to be one thing. And it comes from Luke 14, 26, which is two verses before that. Can we get that up there? There it is. Now, let me read this. Now, this comes from, this is a verse that we use in our discipleship process, which I'm telling you guys in the word, the Lord calls, the, the Lord puts the word Christian in the Bible just two times. He only uses it twice. And it's used in the fashion of the context of mocking people who follow Christ. Mocking people who look like Christ or do Christ-like things. So it's not even a good term in the word. But yet we call ourselves Christians. Now in the word he uses the word disciple 251 times. And you know what that word means? It means a follower of Christ. So if he's using it 251 times, you think he's trying to get something across? Everybody who's sitting in here today, just because you're here, just because I'm here, just because I'm the weird guy with the microphone on who apparently likes to adjust it every five seconds, I'm figuring out, doesn't make me a Christian. 
Just as much as sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. To be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ means to look, act, breathe, respond just like he does. So Luke 14, 26, this is a verse that we use to communicate one thing in its lordship. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now you read that and it's like, what is this guy talking about? How does this have anything to do with building and lordship and all that business? In this day and age, let's just take the homosexual movement. If you don't agree with what they're doing, you automatically hate those people. And that's not the truth. That's not it. I, I don't I don't have to agree with what you do. It doesn't give me license to hate you as a person. What we do, what we need to do is love everybody. Now that love, sometimes there's tough love. That just means you don't agree with a certain lifestyle doesn't mean you co-sign that, but that doesn't give you right to hate somebody. That's not the type of hate that he's talking about in this um, passage. It's not a, let me go out of my way to make sure that you know that I'm against you. <laughs> That's not it. In the Greek, the context of this verse, the word hate, is defined as to love less. That's all that means. It's just to love less. People trip over this verse all the time. See, Christ is preaching hate. No. What it says is, if anyone comes to me and does not love less his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, love less his, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What it's saying is that God has to be God in every situation. He's asking you to love those people less than you love him. doesn't mean you don't love them. Because when you love him first, he takes care of your family. He takes care of your mother, your father, wife, children, brother, and sister. Why does he use those relationships? Because those are the ones you can never get away from. My mom can't just all of a sudden not be my mom. She could be at this point on the other side of the world, meaning she could be as far away from me as possible. She's still my mom. Now, Christ, the only the only one of those that's not blood-related is the wife. But guess what? God set up marriage. So he's just saying of the most intimate relationships in your life, am I still God over those? So the posture of heart, ladies and gentlemen, as we cross the Jordan, is that when you come up against spiritual warfare and things that knock you out almost every single day, is he still God? Because once we get over there and once we're walking around in it and we're conquering those 32 kings, hey, does his word all of a sudden not mean as much as it did when everything was cake and candy? Streamers and confetti? Balloons? I'll stop there. Hey, he's got to be God from beginning to end. We start at the cross. We end at the cross. Amen? So you guys, you guys catching that? That's, I'm pretty much gonna leave it there. Can I get the uh, the worship team to come back up and the offering? Get prepared to take our offering. But the title of this message is a call to build the cornerstone. That cornerstone church is it, it has to be Christ. It has to be God. He has to be God over everything in your life in order for you to build effectively. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get hit. And if he's not the cornerstone, whatever you built is going to crumble. Whatever you built won't last. The foundation has been laid. We have been asked to build the next part of it. And I want to prepare you guys for not only the process of crossing, but also being on the other side. That just because we get to the other side doesn't mean that we got to kind of take a step back. doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> it means we keep taking steps forward. 
Now let me say this. Have you ever been healed? You can go ahead and start playing. Have you ever been healed? Have you ever been yanked out of a destructive lifestyle? <laughs> Have you ever been, in a sense, brought out, of, brought out of exile? Only to experience spiritual warfare on the healed side of it. And what that does is it causes you to question or wonder if your healing was, was for real. That's not it. You're experiencing what you're experiencing on this side, on the other side of the Jordan, whatever it is, because you're looking more like Christ. What I'm saying this morning is, guys, expect it. But expect it knowing who you have as your cornerstone, Christ himself. We give him permission to be God in every part of our life. You guys can come up here. So you guys, you guys catch that this morning? As we go through the book of Haggai, the, the, the last few verses, verses 5 and 6, basically say you're harvesting, excuse me, you're sowing a lot, but you're reaping a little. What did we just get done talking about over the past eight weeks? <laughs> Giving and the fact that it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with grace and attitude. When we jump into self-preservation self is the flesh all right now flesh is death comparatively speaking to the spirit which is life so when you jump into self-preservation you're trying to preserve death <laughs> you're inviting death in when stuff gets hard sticks start flying you start taking hits here and there don't invite death in the front door by huddling up he's not asking you to do that He's saying, what I need you to do is have the correct posture of heart. And it's just that I'm God. And I have to be Jesus. I have to be Lord in your life all the time. Amen.